0: Tonight, we're going to be in uh, Galatians uh, 1, looking at verses 11 to 24. So, just while you're getting your Bibles, just maybe look at that. And just while you're looking for those verses, uh, I'll just explain a bit about what we're looking at tonight. So, we're continuing our series in Galatians. Um, the background to this passage is Paul is basically being um, accused uh, by some that the gospel he's preaching. Um, is you know maybe something that he's kind of cobbled together with the other apostles maybe something that's just kind of come out of his own head um, and they're kind of Paul here is just writing his defense he's defending not only himself as an apostle but also the gospel and um, so these verses here is basically kind of Paul's defense um, there seems to be nothing on the screen so we'll Just have to rely on the Bibles. So if you didn't put your hand up for a Bible, think it was going to be on the screen. Joke's on you now, isn't it? You'll have to listen closely. Okay. So from verse 11. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. How intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Hey, it's up there. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia and later I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Amen. Uh, Now, on this picture behind me, some of you might notice this. You might recognize this and see what's going on. This is basically called a non-Newtonian fluid. It's a bit of A-level physics for you there. Highly impressive. I can see that you're impressed. Um, It sounds very, very technical, Basically what this is, is just a mixture of corn flour and water. And the reason that this stuff is special is because what happens is when force is applied to it, it basically hardens up, it becomes hardened. So if you kind of touch it really gently, just with your fingers like that, it'll be all kind of gloopy and liquidy, but if you go and like smack it as hard as you can, it will like toughen up and like behave like a solid, which is quite cool. And people online do this thing where they get this stuff and they pour it into speakers uh, and as kind of they get the, the sound waves are kind of going through the speakers, that force causes uh, the liquid to kind of start hardening and start making all these weird and wonderful shapes. And uh, there's some pretty good videos out there, so if you get some time afterwards, check them out. Uh, why am I telling you about this? I, I think this is kind of a picture of what we're going to be looking at tonight in a weird way. You know, tonight we're looking at the call of Paul, the, the moment, the kind of Damascus road moment that he has with God. And in a way, it's almost like that kind of gloopy mess. You could kind of label that as Paul. And the speaker you could label as the call of God. And it's like we're just going to kind of switch it on and kind of see what happens. We're looking at what happens at the moment when Paul is called. How does that affect him? What does that call look like? What are the kind of conditions where it happens? What happens to him as a result? And what does that mean for us today? So, the first thing we're going to look at is the fact that Paul was called when he was in weakness. Uh, I went for a haircut once, <laughs> not recently. Uh, thank you. And um, I was wa- I was walking down the street, looking for a place to get my haircut, and I saw a sign: five pound student haircuts. I thought that's for me. That's where I'm going. So I walked in, and uh, I just suddenly got a feeling that I'd made the wrong move. I don't know if you've ever done this. You maybe walk into something like that and you think, Maybe this wasn't such a good idea because as soon as I walked in, the hairdresser just clocks me like that. And he's like drawing me in with his tractor beam. He's like, Yes, yes, come sit down, sit down, sit down. I'm like, this guy's a little bit a little bit weird, but I'm like, oh, okay, I'm kind of committed now. So I go and sit down. He's like, What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? He's quite quite an intense guy. I was like, oh just short back inside, whatever. And he was like, okay, great, great. So he gets his scissors out. And as he, as he opens them, there's a loud Eek! like squeak from his scissors, which was my first kind of sign of not everything's great here, but I was like, that's okay, squeaky scissors, that's fine, I can deal with that. And he starts to cut my hair, but I look closely. As he's cutting my hair, I look at the scissors, there's actually rust all along the scissors that this guy's using. I'm thinking, this guy's not really the best of this, is he? As he's cutting my hair, and I say cutting my hair... What's actually happening is he's kind of using the scissors as a kind of grip to kind of pull and rip my hair up like this. So I'm just kind of sitting there really fighting back the tears as like chunks of my hair is just removed like this. Uh, it didn't end well. It didn't look very good, and I had to run to the hairdresser next door to sort it out. Um, <laughs> clearly, clearly this guy wasn't the man for the job. When looking for someone to do a job, what do we look for? We look for experience, we look for uh, qualifications, ability, skill. Uh, When looking for someone to fill the role of an apostle, God chooses Paul. And Paul wasn't just a bad candidate for this. He wasn't just a weak candidate. He was like the worst candidate. He wasn't called because of his ability or gifting. He was called in complete weakness. On the surface, it seems that God here has just made like a terrible choice You know, this is the man who was persecuting the church. This is the guy who was arresting and killing Christians, burning churches. And Paul says in the the verses that we read there, he was persecuting the people with intensity. It's not just a dislike or a kind of, you know, intolerance of Christians. It's it's like all-out war. And this is the man that God chooses. This is the man he goes for. And we hear the kind of the reactions from the Christians at that time when they heard this you know Ananias was asked to go and pray for Paul uh, to restore his sight and he's like his first reaction is like really God Paul are you sure you want me to go there kind of thing really nervous Paul is someone who has a reputation he's someone that is feared he's definitely not a strong candidate but you know time and time again in scripture God chooses the weak one he chooses the unlikely one He chooses the one that people wouldn't expect. He loves to use those who are weak. In 1 Corinthians, it says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Why does God do this? Why does he choose to do this? Why does he appear to take the difficult way? I think it's because it shows his glory. It points people towards himself. And in the middle, oh, sorry. the fact that God can take ordinary, everyday people and they can do extraordinary things through him, there's no one else that can do that. Uh, we were at the leadership conference this uh, these past few days. Was anyone there? Hands up. Some people. Brilliant, brilliant time. One of the things that just seemed to come up time and time again for me when I was there was this idea of, of weakness. And in our weakness and in our, our fear and our inability, You know, God uses us in that, and that's actually a source of strength for us because it drives us to God's arms. It drives us to fully rely on him. We actually need to be weak. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen this kind of classic scene from a film Drives me mad every time it comes up in the film. So I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of paint a wee picture for you here So I'm a guy kind of driving a school bus There's all these kids in the back and then all of a sudden something is in the road like that You have to swerve the bus is sliding out of control and eventually it skids to a halt But it's teetering on a cliff like this and the kids are screaming It's all horror and the guy the bus driver's like get out kids out Let's go and they're all running out and he thinks great. Everyone's safe. Everyone's out of the bus then all of a sudden where's Timmy? Timmy is still at the back of the bus and you're like flipping act, Timmy you had one job just get out of the bus kind of thing and he's like okay I'll go back in so the bus driver goes back in and he's creeping towards all the while the bus is kind of leaning like this and Timmy's just sat in the back kind of glued like that he's like Timmy Timmy take my hand take my hand Timmy and Timmy's just like not doing anything, he's like, Timmy, come on, I'm scared, and you're like, come on, and you're, you're sitting there watching, like, flipping act, Timmy, just take his hand, you'll be fine, why are you sitting there? <laughs> there's something in that picture there, there's something in that of, of kind of what we're talking about here, this idea of weakness, you know, we can think that we're in a place of safety, a place of strength, a place where we're in control, you know? And we're kind of, in a way, refusing kind of God's help. And in a way, we're actually on really shaky ground when we're doing that. We're not in a position of strength at all. We need to put ourselves in a place of reliance, in a place of weakness kind of of ourselves and have God's strength. God calls us in weakness. Uh, in In the verse we read out there, it says, Paul says he was set apart from his mother's womb and that's that's you know that's quite a familiar phrase to some of us i'm sure and it's it's quite a comforting thing because you can kind of think oh yeah you know god you you knew me before i was born and all that and you know you care about me and you love me and like that is great but i think kind of in the context of what we're talking about it's also like god set me apart in my mother's womb it's like god chose paul before he'd had the chance to kind of perform or to do anything, when he was in a moment of complete vulnerability, of complete weakness, in that place, God chose him. God chose chooses. He does. He chose <laughs> Paul. He chooses us in our weakness. And you know, this evening, if we're if we're sitting here and we're feeling weak, if we're feeling incapable, if we're feeling unable, we're actually in good company. For some of us, it might feel that You know, we might feel that call from God and there's, like, fear and doubt can set in that can get in the way. We can tell ourselves, you know, God would never pick me for his plans. God would never choose me. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not someone who's, I don't know, on stage or something or, like, you know, someone who, like, people kind of see as as holy or whatever. Like, why why would God pick me? But there's that really cool quote that's kind of doing the rounds on Facebook at the minute. Um, One of the few good ones. Uh, God doesn't call the equipped but he equips the called God doesn't call the equipped but he equips the called and that's so true Paul wasn't qualified by his own strength and his own ability but was asked to rely fully on God and so are we so when God calls us he gives us everything we need to do what he asks and we just have to step out so Paul walks in weakness and dependence of God for the whole of his life but he doesn't stay unchanged. He's also called to transformation. Um, I guess pretty popular kind of daytime kind of TV would be the whole kind of classic 60-minute makeover, Grand Designs, that kind of thing. Ben's looking at me like I've lost it. Yep, 60-minute makeover, it's good viewing. Uh, You know, kind of Pimp My Ride, that kind of thing. These kind of shows where you take something that's kind of, you know, rubbish and a bit broken, and you transform it into something that's incredible. Ground Force is another one. A little bit of Dave Hall trivia for you. I was in series four, episode three of Ground Force. So, when you get home, get the DVD out, which I'm sure you all have, and look out for me. Um, <laughs> but we love that idea of a restoration, of a transformation, of something being turned from something that's kind of, you know, broken and you know, useless into something like that looks incredible. And we see in these verses there's a complete 180-degree turn in Paul's life here. It's summed up in verse 23 where it says, The man who formerly formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. You know, Paul has been talking at the start in verses 13 and 14 before he had this experience of God, before he had this call about his previous life. You know, he was a devout Jew bent on persecuting Christians and kind of rising in the ranks of the people of his day. And there's a moment in that passage, though, that just seems to hinge on the three words. And it says, but when God. But when God. And it's like in the middle of Paul's hatred, in the middle of his blindness, God comes and changes everything, and Paul's life is flipped upside down. This story of Paul, about how his life transformed, gives us hope. Because even Paul isn't a hopeless case. Even Paul can be changed and have a but when God moment. It gives us hope for our own lives, and it also gives us hope for the lives of people around us, our friends, our work colleagues, um, those that we may think, you know what, they could never change. How could they be different? How could they come to know Jesus? How could they be transformed? But as we said before, God picks Paul in his weakness, and it shows his glory. It shows that he's powerful enough to do that. It's a bit like, do you guys remember the Daz challenge? Anyone? kind of Daz adverts where they'd get like a, kind of t-shirt with a stubborn stain, sound like an advert for Daz right now. Other products are available, not just Daz. Check out your supermarkets, it's all good. But they'd take, some th- they'd take a t-shirt with like a stubborn stain and then they'd put it in Daz and it would be amazing and it would come out white. But they didn't, you know, the idea was that would take something that was really tough to get out. They wouldn't kind of take a white t-shirt and pour a little bit of milk on it and be like, Ah, oh, great, like fantastic. The idea is that they'd take something that was difficult Um, to be transformed, to be changed. And if Paul was in a Daz challenge, if Paul was a t-shirt, he'd be like caked in mud. He'd be covered in grass stains. it would be paint, blood. He'd probably be on fire. And then this t-shirt, just flaming mess, would just kind of get dipped in. And God changes him. God flips it around, and he comes out whiter than white. God can bring transformation in an instant, just like he did with Paul. But transformation is also a process. Because Paul says in 2 Corinthians, these verses are great, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. I think there's just a couple of things here. It's like the transformation is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's him who's changing us. But there's also something we have to do. We we have to kind of allow him to do that. It says in that verse I just read out, as we contemplate the Lord's glory, it's like as we think about who God is, as we think about what he's done and allow his spirit to move in us, we're transformed. We get to know him more intimately and we want to become more like him. We want to reflect who he is in our thoughts and our actions. We want to be renewed. Another little transformation, Saul becomes known as Paul. I always kind of presumed that this was kind of like a a Simon Peter moment and Abram to Abraham where it was like God stepped in and he kind of said, I'm going to give you a new name kind of thing. But there's, there's no mention of that happening. It's actually more like Paul was kind of like the Greek version of his name. And because he was going to people who weren't Jewish, it kind of maybe it could have been that it just made sense to do that. But I I still think there's something significant in you know this massive change and this change of name as well. It's almost like a sign that he was able to leave behind his previous life. He was able to leave those mistakes behind and have a new name written over them. And do you know what the name Paul means actually? This this is this is great, this is lovely. The name Paul means little, little. And there's something really, really good about that. It's like, this is Paul. He's the great apostle. This is the guy who spreads the message of Christ um, across like the world of his day. This is a guy who's written massive chunks of the Bible that we have today. And it's like, he's little Paul. It's a complete transformation from the guy who was, you know, rising to the ranks wanting to be the kind of like the top jew if you like and persecuting these guys and he's went from that to this this humble man who serves jesus it's a massive transformation we might we could think you know that's cool that's that's all very well for paul that's fine but you know what about me i've not had that but when god moment god couldn't change me you know this this habit this this sin this issue Kind of feels like it's part of who I am. But you know what? There's there's simple truth in the fact that there's nothing that our God cannot do. Um, like that, that Sunday school song, my God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing that he cannot do. Clap, clap. And it sounds childish and it sounds simple, but we can lose the simple truth of that, that going into life, um, into any situation, we can carry that truth of, you know what? My God is bigger than this my god can transform anyone and anything and he can come into any situation and bring redemption there's nothing he cannot do there's no life he can't transform no name that can't be rewritten and maybe for some of us it feels like there's been names that have been put over us that are kind of stuck maybe things like useless or unloved or angry, or selfish, or impatient. You know, all these things that can be thrown at us and that we can kind of take to heart. But I think God wants to write new names over our hearts. Loved, cared for, patient, things like that. And that can be a difficult thing for us to open up to, but God desperately wants to do it. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's what we read before. We just have to allow him to do it. And finally, Paul is called to go. I've never owned a dog. Uh, I always wanted one when I was a kid. And there was two two weeks uh, when a family friend uh, asked to look after their dog for them. Um, and this dog was a handful, to put it lightly. He was just... just you could There was no way you could control him. Any command you gave him was just completely ignored, unless the command was do what you want have fun like fine like he handled that perfectly but anything outside of that he really struggled with um and he, he particularly loved being outside um which is kind of difficult when he's just bolting out of the house and you're like oh come back and this this dog was fast buster he was called and he just he just absolutely bombed it so one day uh, i'm walking in my hall buster's there And then all of a sudden, there's an open door. The front door is left wide open. I'm like, oh, no, great. I'm going to have to run after him. And sure enough, he sees it, and he's like, he's gone. Quick as a flash, Buster's out there. And I'm just like, oh, great. So I'm starting to run after him. Buster, I've done this, like, plenty of times over the last couple of weeks. Um, But there's a moment, and I have a little bit of a panic, because I see what Buster has seen outside. Buster has seen a brand-new Mercedes parked just outside my front door. And not only is it just a brand-new Mercedes, it's a brand new Mercedes with both of its back doors open. And not only that, the interior I would describe as like light cream, very, very, very white kind of cream. And there's this muddy dog just charging towards it. And I'm kind of like, oh, they're trying to catch him. Sure enough, Buster jumps into the back seat, he's running around happy as Larry, spreading mud everywhere, and there's this woman in the back screaming hysterically, going get it out, get it out, like that and I'm kind of climbing in i like, so sorry, I'm so sorry, trying to control him, and also the, the driver at the front is just sitting there, roaring with laughter no help at all, he's absolutely loving the situation <laughs> there's, something, there's something in this, in that for Paul, when he's called to go he goes, he hits the ground running, preaching who Jesus is. He says this, he says, My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I love that. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. It's like when the call of God hit Paul, when it went into his life, it wasn't like he was about to, you know, have a committee with the other apostles. When Buster saw that open door, he wasn't going to go alone to me and like, Is it okay if I go outside? He was just, he was gone. He was going And there's something in the heart of Paul that's just like that. He just goes. As soon as he gets his sight back after being blind in Damascus, straight away he's preaching in the town and he's telling people about Jesus, telling everyone about Jesus. He's seen the open door of his call and he's bolting through it. And the question I just want to kind of ask you guys tonight is is where is the open door that God is calling you to? where is it that he's sending you to we all have the same call on our lives to to spread the gospel to to be good news uh, to see the kingdom of god come we're all called to go but the thing that differs for each one of us is in what context has god asked us to do that where and to who are we to go um now not everyone is an apostle like paul Um, not everyone is kind of like a natural evangelist I guess but you know we're not all called to other countries as missionaries and all that kind of stuff or all called to become pastors but the call to go and tell others is still on us what environment are we supposed to place ourselves in how are we called to reflect Jesus in the way that we live to which people group or friend group is he sending us it's a call that changes through our life. You know, Paul had the same, that same call on him to preach to the Gentiles throughout his ministry, throughout his whole life. But his location and the way he did that kind of changed over time as he was led by God. And I guess for today, wherever we're at, wherever we feel we're at with this call of God, you know, maybe some of us are feeling weak, incapable. That's no barrier to God using you. And it's actually a positive And for those who think, you know, you could never change, I could never be changed, God is a God who can transform anyone or anything. Where are we called to go and to who? Um, I'm just going to finish with this. I felt God saying as I was kind of praying about this, um, that this message about kind of his call is not supposed to be like a guilt trip about what we have and what we haven't done. Um our motivation to follow God's call is not supposed to be out of guilt or because we feel like we've kind of been forced to at church or whatever. We see when Paul talks about that moment when God meets with him, he, he writes with such like fondness about, about that moment. He says this, it's so good. He says, God set me apart from my mother's womb called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach to the Gentiles and this was probably written like 15 years or so like after that happened after that Damascus Road experience and it's just clear that this is a man who still loves God deeply who's still walking with him daily and his motivation is because he wants to serve that God, the God that he loves so this even isn't about guilt, Um, it's actually an invitation for us to return to that first love You know, if there are things that God has spoken to us that we've maybe put to one side or we've not followed a particular call, I just want to invite us to just ask him to come and breathe life into that again, to renew that first love and to actually give us an even deeper love than we had at first. And maybe for some of us who've never known that love before, who've never felt that call before, you have an opportunity tonight if you want it um, to invite Jesus in and experience that love for the first time. Uh why do we stand?